Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, fellas? Hey, Willie, Benjamin, how are y'all? Hello, boys. Fellas, Wyndham Clark shoots 60 to win at Pebble, making 190 feet of putts. I mean, <laughs> talk to me about it. How impressive is what he did on Saturday? Well, one of my favorite things about the Wyndham Clark story this week is he said he wanted to thank uh, this putting coach, Mike, and he said, I don't remember, I don't know his last name, but thanks, Mike. So <laughs> apparently Wyndham had a putting lesson at Pebble from some guy named Mike. And, um, you know, to the listeners, golf's a weird game. Wyndham had six putters out, I believe, uh, on Monday at Pebble, feeling a little lost on the greens, and he switched to cross-handed. And sure enough, he has one of the great rounds uh, ever at Pebble and the or on tour, and one of the great putting rounds, probably his best putting round he's ever had. And uh, I mean, to do it at Pebble, you know, and he he had three chances coming in that were perfect putts, just a little harder they might have gone in. Um, but pretty cool, uh, pretty cool moment for him, I'm sure, when he got that text at six thirty saying tournament's over, he's a winner. Ben, what's your reaction to it? How how impressive is it to make 190 feet of putts in a round? I mean, Wyndham's an incredible ball striker. Um, and then to put that kind of putting on top of it is incredible. You know, it, it, it's amazing because those greens are so difficult to putt. 190 feet of putts made, you know, um, at the American Express, you know, in at La Quinta and PJ West, whatever, like, Okay, I mean, the greens are, like, perfect. But Pebble Beach, you have way more slope with a lot more bumps than Poana. So that's as good as putting has ever been done, really. Yeah. All right, so he's he's working on his putting. He's changing grips. He's potentially changing putters early in the week. And then he goes and he wins. What's the encouragement from that for a pro golfer? Or is there one? I think you're, you're never – Jonathan Bird – always told me you're never as far off as you think you know here he is completely lost and the game of golf obviously when you find a little something you know that's why we all search because when you find a little something it's not much but it gives you a little confidence all of a sudden you make a few you see the ball go in and then you start to relax and you just start to kind of express your gift and let it go and um you're more in the moment you know that um you have an innocence of like wow Good putting and bad putting are are pretty closely related, so um, you have a healthy respect. I think when you're in that 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 place for each putt, and man, it's that's why you play the game. Um, because when you get days like that, it's just like it's the best feeling. How fun is it to catch a heater? I mean, it's it's the best. You it doesn't come often. You know, and I think the great sports psychologist would tell you, you can never force the the zone or the heater that you got to kind of let it come. And w- when it starts to come, you kind of have that feeling inside. I think it's coming because I feel really good. And your thinking becomes sharper, clearer. You have less fear. Um, and you just kind of ride the wave and let it, let it come. And man, it's fun when it does. Um, you know, and you see it in every sport, every – Every sport, you'll see somebody just get on a heater. It looks like they're playing a different game than everyone else. Um, and I, I mean, I looked up his scores, you know, and kind of see it at hot rounds for the days, six under through seven. You're like, whoa, that's, you know, that's incredible. And then he's, he birdies eight and nine and 10. And it's just like, whoa, 
like, and then 12, I mean, the 12th hole, he makes a 22 footer from off the green for bogey. <laughs> you know, it's your day when that happens. <laughs> and by the way, it was a double breaker down the hill. Yeah, exactly. Um, so incredible week for him. Um, great moment, I think for, uh, you know, for a guy who hadn't been playing his best. Um, and then it all clicked when it, when it needed to. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine anybody ever being happier about a fourth round being canceled than Wyndham Clark. (laughs) I mean, he even said it. He didn't sleep much. He knew the possibility. And, I mean, they kept updating us about every two or three hours saying, we'll give you another update, you know, this time. And then the text came and he's, you know, he said he was playing ping pong when he got the text. So pretty cool. That was awesome. All right, well, the tour goes to Phoenix this week, another elevated event. Um, Phoenix is famous for the 16th hole that's, you know, all the way enclosed in like an arena. Um, tell us about, about that hole. What's it like to walk through that tunnel and, and play the 16th hole at Phoenix? When you get just off of 15T, you can start hearing the stadium. It's like the Gladiator Arena. You know, you can hear the, the cheers and the booze and the the excitement and um and so you know it's coming um and then when you walk through the tunnel from 15 to 16 and it's kind of dark in there it's you know it's it, and it's a decent walk to get all the way under that bleacher and when you come out i mean and then the people just start cheering and welcoming this group and they can't wait to just roast you and um i mean it's you know, Harry, you know, makes a birdie putt there. What was that two years ago? And like takes his shirt off. (laughs) I mean, mean, you've seen more stuff there. I always just try to keep stuff in the back and like give it out because I want these guys on my side. Uh, Right. It's because they're either for you or against you, whatever. I mean, and then when they, they're, they're all like the real roasters are front left. They're about maybe 40 feet from you, you know, and they're saying stuff constantly as you're going through your routine and you're hearing it, you know, and you're so nervous because you want to hit a good shot. If you don't get a good shot. You just get killed. <laughs> but some, a couple of times I back off because I'm like, they're, they're hilarious. I mean, they, they, they know your bio way beyond your bio. So <laughs> it's, it's one of the great holes in golf. And, you know, um, a lot of people have a good time, too good of a time, but it's uh, but it's fun. It's a great environment. Uh, one of my favorite holes of the whole year for sure. Yeah. Like, if you if you normally hit a pitching wedge, let's say 140 yards, well, your pitching wedge on 16 during the tournament goes 150 yards. So you At gotta you, you you have to adjust accordingly. I remember when William was caddying for me on Saturday. They loved to put the pin front left, put the tee up, and you know whatever the number was. I remember it being like, "Can I get a sand wedge there, William, or do I need to hit a pitching wedge?" Well, it's not really the type of hole you want to chip something on, so. He's like, buddy, I think if you hit it really good, it'll get there. And I'm like, I agree. I hit this sand wedge right at it. You know, we're watching it. And it goes 40 feet long. I mean, it's <laughs> to this day the longest sand wedge I've ever hit. <laughs> oh, but it's fun. Where does that hole um, line up for y'all for favorite holes of the year? Is it is it in the conversation? And what's at the top of your list for favorite hole of the year? It's a, it's a nothing hole. I mean, it's a slight elevated you know, it's a, it's a, it's an eight iron to a pitching wedge. It's not, not a complicated hole. It's a fairly big green, um, but I'd certainly rank it in probably my top three holes of the year. Uh, followed 
uh, by Tenet Riviera. Oh, that's yeah. right. You love Tenet Riviera. Tenet Riviera, you know, <laughs> it's Doug Ferguson. I think I've said it before. He said uh, he's on the bleachers. It's 7 a.m. I'm first off. He's in the bleachers behind Tenet Riviera by himself. Doug Ferguson writes for the Associated Press, one of the great writers in golf. And I walk over after I putt out and I make my four at Tenet Riv. And I walk over and I go, Doug, what are you doing? <laughs> 7 a.m. We're the first group off. You're the only person here. And he said, Ben, it's like if you get to an intersection, a busy intersection, you just turn all the lights green. You don't know when, but you know it's going to happen. There's going to be a collision. <laughs> That's such a good line. That is. That's so true. Um, my favorite hole of the year. 16 is definitely up there in terms of like just the drama of it and experience. We don't have anything like it. 13 at Augusta to me is always one of those pinch yourself type holes where you just, you just take it all in and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's such a great par five, but yeah, I mean, sure enough this year, I mean, there'll probably be, if not a one on 16, they'll be close to it. And I, I always love looking, you know, each day, did somebody come close and they, yeah. like I said, on Saturday, they put the tee up, make it about 125 yards and, That'll be some fun. That's great. All right, well, Weber, you've been in two playoffs there. You've won one of them, lost one of them. What's the key to good golf at TPC Scottsdale? Well, there's a lot of birdies to be made. Um, You know, I think the tricky thing about TPC Scottsdale, you're in the desert. So in the morning, the ball is not going anywhere, but as it heats up, you have to start adjusting with your distance control. So I think having great distance control um, out there is kind of undervalued. but you know, there's it's not a e or it's not a hard driving golf course. But there are certain tee shots that are important. You know, like 13 can get tricky. There's water right, desert left. But if you hit a good drive, you got five iron or four iron into this par five. 17's another example. You got water left. The fairway's not that tight, um, but it's very important to put yourself in a good position because if you hit a pretty good drive in the right spot, easy up and down for birdie. Um, same with 18, you got the church pew bunker on the left, very penal pot bunker on the right. But if you do hit a good drive in the fairway, you got sand wedge in. So, um, I, I would say everything matters at TPC Scottsdale and, you know, Scotty Scheffler's trying to become, you know, a three peat winner there. And, you know, he had a great week last week, which is par for the course for him. So I'm sure Scotty will have a chance there on Sunday. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let that lead us into picks. Ben, you get us going this week. Well, someone who has played great there a lot over the years, um, and he's kind of the man of the desert. I'm going to take Mark Kalkovecchia. You ran the same play I ran last week. I just thought about it myself, and I almost was going to say the same thing about Mark Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, my man Mark Wilson is a Bible Caddy listener, so shout out to Mark if you're out there. That is great. So if you're not picking Calc, Ben, who are you picking? I have no idea. I don't know who's in the field. But. It, it's elevated. Everybody, everybody's playing. Um, I will take uh, Patrick Cantley. He's not okay. playing. See? He's not Everybody's playing. Everybody's not playing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's my, that's on me. It's, it's Caddy Air. It's, it's technically not elevated this year. It's okay. not. Okay. It's so not elevated. I've said twice. I know who okay. I'm picking if y'all don't want him. Go. 
this guy named Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to lose him for a while till the next major. All right. Um, I'll go. I'll go Ludwig. Okay. You know, he was he was right there last week. He's got Joe Scovern on his back. I think they're going to have a big year. I think this is the breakout. William, can you you conveniently just called him by his first name? Can you can you help us with the pronunciation of the last name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always called him. I've always called him Aberg, but everybody on TV now is calling him Oberg. Okay. So for a while they're calling him Ober, but then they started calling him Oberg. So I'm going to go with Ludwig Oberg. There's okay. there's two dots on one of the letters of his names up just and on we top all of we it. all know what that means. Yeah, what's yeah. the two dots mean? I think it just <laughs> means we, we lower our voice on that letter. Oberg, Oberg, Oberg. Oh gosh, that's great. Thanks for calling me out. Yeah. Uh, I'll take ben. Justin Thomas. He's been playing okay. great. He's he's number three right now in shots gained per tournament over the last like 10 events whatever so i'll take jt i like that pick okay um all right well let's let's get into ephesians we're in week five uh walking through this book that the apostle paul you know the greatest missionary ever is writing to this church in ephesus to remind them of all that god's done for them and of how they should live in response to it um, and last week we saw Paul remind these guys that there's a time when they were not part of God's people. Um, but because Jesus accomplished peace with God and others on their behalf, now they're, they're citizens in God's kingdom and members of his household, even his very dwelling place. And in today's passage, we get a unique window and in, into the life of the apostle Paul that has very real implications for us. So here's kind of what we're going to see in the, in the first six verses, We'll answer the question, what did God reveal to Paul that we need to know? Mm. God, God revealed something to Paul that we need to know. And then verses 7 to 13 will answer, what did God call Paul to that we benefit from? Mm. So that's kind of how we'll break it down. Um, Weber, if you'll pray for our time in the Word, for God's help, and then Ben, you can read Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. Yes, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your goodness to us. Thank you for another podcast. Thank you for the listeners, Lord, who are taking time out of their day to invest and listen um, to to us. Ultimately, Lord, I hope they know they're listening to your word and what you have to say to them because you are God, Lord, and you have every and all abilities, Lord, to speak to all of us through any means possible. So may they know, Lord, that you care for them. May they know that you uh, want what is best for them and that you want a relationship with them. So I pray that our words, our thoughts honor you. Um, and we love you and commit this podcast to you in Jesus name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. Ephesians three, uh, one to 13, the mystery of the gospel revealed for this reason. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness 
and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so let's just jump right in. How does Paul begin in verse 1? For this reason, so he's referring back to probably chapter 2, right? Yeah, referring back to all that he had just said in chapter 2. And how does he describe himself uh, at the end of chapter 1 there? A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Yeah, so let's just quickly refresh. Who are the Gentiles? What's Gentiles mean? They're non-Jews. They represent other nations. And up until this point, God has divided everyone into two categories, Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews were God's people with God's blessings. And the Gentiles were out of luck to this point. Yeah, right. Up, up until Jesus came, the Jews just were not participants. I'm sorry, the Gentiles were not participants in all the blessings of God. Um, but not only did Jesus, after he died and rose, tell his disciples to make disciples of the Gentiles, of the nations, he specifically commissioned Paul, this mm. ex-devout Jew, to go and do this. And Paul's countrymen, his fellow Jewish brothers, were so offended by this, they, they had him arrested. And so Paul mm. appealed to his Roman citizenship, and he winds up in prison in Rome where he's writing this letter. So he's literally a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. And in verses 2 to 5, Paul assumes that the Ephesians understood this. So he goes into his very personal calling to encourage them that all this is God's doing. Instead of having a pity party about being in prison, Paul takes it as an opportunity to remind these guys of God's cosmic purposes in the world that have very real implications for all of us. So let's reread Mm -hmm. 2 to 5. What do those verses say, Weber? Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay, so there's a lot of big words in here, but I think if we slow down, we'll have no problem understanding it. Mm-hmm. So first things first, what has Paul been entrusted with? Verse 2. The stewardship of God's grace. Yeah, and what's that mean? He's He's been given the opportunity to get the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to them. Yes, right. This good news of God's grace, Paul has been entrusted to manage it and to take care of it and protect it and to advance it. And how does he refer to God's grace, this message of the gospel in verses three and four? Like it's a mystery. Yeah, a mystery. He calls it a mystery. Now, this is interesting. When you hear mystery or most people in America in 21st century hear mystery, what do they think? A mystery novel or a, or a mystery is a, a type of movie where we're trying to figure something out. Yeah, good. Yeah, and it, it might be something that we might never know. Like that's a mystery to me. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. get it. It's not understandable. Um, but when the Bible uses this term mystery, what's it mean? The, the good news about Jesus has been kind of been foreshadowed in the Old Testament, but now it's become known in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. He's the one, his word and his works are revealing this mystery that we've wondered about. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. There was a time where what God was doing in human history, it was, it was hidden to some degree. It was concealed Mm -hmm. to some degree. It was unknown. But now with this generation, it's being made known. It's being put on Mm -hmm. display to the world. Um, 
Weber, are y'all still big movie watchers? Yeah, pretty much you could say that. Okay. What what movie in your opinion like unfolds the most dramatically? Like what plot when when it plays out and all you start to see how all the pieces work together it makes you stand back and say, That is amazing. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> the first movie that comes to mind is uh The Sixth Sense. Okay. To know that that he's actually dead the whole movie. And you don't know that the first time you watch it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that, that's not quite, that's maybe not the illustration I was looking for, but, <laughs> but it'll, it'll work. You, you didn't see it coming and all of a sudden it unfolds and, you know, when I'll that give you happens. A better that, one. Okay, I'll give, give you a better one. one. My favorite movie, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. You think, you think the little girl is gone that he's coming after. And then you figure out in the end that she's still there, but there is still a mystery as to how he's going to get her back. So I won't yeah. ruin the end for the listeners, but yeah, that's a great movie. Okay. Here's, here's what Paul is showing the Ephesians. He's saying that all of history is like that for centuries in human history. The mystery of what God was doing was hidden. Even though the old Testament prophets gave us small glimpses of it and kind of alluded to it and knew in part, for the most part, God's cosmic plans were concealed. And yet now, with this specific generation that Paul's living in, what happened? Verse 5. It's now been revealed. Yes. God has revealed this mystery of what he's doing to these holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So here's what we got. There's a mystery of God's grace. He's got cosmic purposes that he's up to. At one point, they're hidden. But now this mystery has been revealed to Paul. And, and what is the mystery? Verse 6. That the Gentiles are heirs just like the Jews. That they, the Gentiles were not included amongst God's people, but now this mystery is revealed that they actually are a part of God's people. Exactly. That's what we saw last week, right? Fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, now, in order for this to have its proper impact on us, we've got to get into the shoes of the listeners. Right, because this seems it doesn't seem like that big a deal to us. This was like earth shattering, life transforming reality to the first century reader. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me illustrate this way: um, if you boys go to Africa and you come upon a man uh, from a tribe that doesn't even know what golf is, they've never heard of it, and you said, "Hey, man, the PGA Tour and the Live Tour—they're getting back together." How would how would that man respond to that? He doesn't care. He doesn't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> he doesn't. He knows nothing, right? But if that same news came to the golf world six months from now, what would happen in the golf world? It would electrify. It would um, send shocks through the golf world and excitement and joy. It would be all that everyone is talking about all the time. Totally. Right. Similarly, if we want to understand the magnitude of what Paul's saying, we've got to understand how big this divide was between Jew and Gentile. There's a time when if you weren't Jewish, you did not have a place among the people of God. There was no chance for you. There was no inheritance for you. There was no eternal hope for you. You were separated. You're missing out on every promise. Right. We saw this in verses 11 and 12 last week. But now Paul's saying through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, anyone on earth can be made an heir. Anyone can become part of Christ's body. Anyone can become a recipient to all the promises that God has. This is crazy for Western white guys like us, mm -hmm. right? And, and we want the, 
we want to feel that shock wave that even though this happened 2000 years ago, it's really, really big news. So personalizing it now, what God revealed to Paul mm-hmm. is good news for us. So what does it mean for us and for anybody who might be driving their car, listen to this. It doesn't matter where you're born, who you're born to, what you do, the skin color you have, who your friends are. The gospel is a free gift and invitation for anyone, any and all. And so this this news is good news for everyone because God is offering this gift to everyone. Amen. Perfectly said. So what God revealed to Paul is very important for us to know. We can get in on it, right? We saw this last week. Um, But it's also interesting where Paul goes next. He, He starts to explain to the Ephesians that God had called him to something very specific that we all benefit from. And that's what he explains in verses seven to thirteen. So let's let's start with verse seven. What's that say? Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. Okay, so not only is Paul made a steward of God's grace, he's also here called a minister of God's grace. What's a what's a minister? A minister is administering the. A message to us. Good. Yeah, exactly. And and in the Greek, it's literally just a servant. It's a servant with a specific responsibility. Um, and every Christian is gifted to serve in some way. But our boy Paul had a unique assignment. And he tells us about that unique assignment in verses 8 and 9. Um, and you just get vintage Paul in these verses. He, you see how he views himself and how he views what he's called to. So uh, read 8 and 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Okay, so first things first, how did Paul view himself? He said he's the very least of all the saints. He's the worst, the very least. Okay, and how do people like us view him? (laughs) The the best apart from Christ, <laughs> right? The best I mean, of, all half of our New Testament, more than I mean, he's he's the man. Yeah. So what's what's going on here? Why would he say this? On the road to Damascus, God revealed to him as he was on his way to persecute Christians. Paul saw the risen Christ, the a light, and he said, "You know, why are you persecuting me?" And he's like, "Who who is this?" And he says, "Jesus." And so. He meets Christ, and then he's blinded for a period of time, and then he's commissioned um, to go and give the good news uh, to the Gentile world of who Jesus is. And so he just feels like he feels like he's the least of all the saints because of what he did formerly with his life, and so he's just humble. Good, exactly. He's so mm-hmm. familiar with his past. Um, and then also, what's what's common to us? We don't have the same past Paul had. Um, but here's something that I think that all of the listeners who are really grown in Christ will experience. The more we grow in the Christian life, the more we become aware of our sin and the less impressed with ourselves we become. Um, the more we understand, acknowledge, and appreciate and marvel at who Jesus is and all he's done, the more we kind of like shrink into our proper position. And I think you have both those things going on with Paul. Mm-hmm. He sees himself as the least and he sees Christ as the greatest. Um, and even though he's the least, what was it his joy to preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Yeah. So let's just zoom in on this phrase. This is probably the main point of the podcast. What what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? He's a well that never runs dry. You can go to him thirsty and never thirst again. He provides you with all the peace you need, all the joy you could ever dream of and more. He forgives sins. He helps you. He loves you. He's a friend that is always there. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He provides you with all things that you need and all things to enjoy. And he not only is the greatest, but he is God. And he he wants us. He wants us to be a part of his family and to do life with other believers. Um, and he's, he's the so best. good that he even works all the difficult things in your life for good so you'll know him and enjoy him even more and so that's why it's unsearchable it's unsearchable are the riches of christ because like webb said the well that never runs dry we can never search the depths of how good he is and the goodness of what he's done for us amen yeah ben i love those two categories how good he is and the goodness of what he's done for us both are unsearchable that's right i was just gonna say i mean Proof's in the pudding, right? So you got a guy, Paul, that we're talking about who had really everything, um, respect uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he he kept the letter to the to the law, like the letter of the law perfectly. Um, he had everything from a Jewish perspective that you would ever need or want. And yet he gave it all up to sit in a prison cell because he experienced Jesus enough to know that it is worth it. It's worth it to give up everything to know him. Yes. Amen. So he's preaching to everyone, these unsearchable riches of Christ, who he is. You can't get to the bottom of it, what he's done. It's, it's too good to be true, but it is. Um, so quick question to y'all, like in your own relationship with Christ right now, what of the unsearchable riches of Christ? What's most encouraging to you right now about Jesus Christ? I would say I've been blown away with how God continues to meet me every single day through his word that we're all going through stuff in life and listeners, you're going through stuff as well. Um, you want to you wanna bet on something that you'll always win is that when you go to God's word, he will minister to you. He will provide for you. He will give you a word that encourages your soul. He'll help you. He'll give you wisdom. Um, and it just, I'm, I've been so encouraged lately. Um, he primarily speaks to us through his word and he is speaking to me through his word every day. And I'm just, I love it because like, like you're saying, William and Ben, his, his ways, his riches are unsearchable and God's word continues to just, it's beyond perfection, right? It, there is limitless power in God's word. And I just love it. I'm, I'm so thankful for it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Ben? I, I too, just <clears throat> when you asked the question, I just thought the word, the word is such a gift to us. And um, in my personal study uh, right now, I'm in, I'm in Hebrews and just seeing um, that he is, Jesus is better than, all these other things. He's better than the prophets. He's better than, he's the better high priest. Uh, he's better than Abraham. He's, Jesus is better. And so as I see that, I literally walk away marveling and I literally walk away every day going, God, you're so good. You're so mm-hmm. good. And I, I just, 
the the joy that I get in my heart when I walk away from spending time in his word is it happens day after day after day. Mm-hmm. Amen. Praise God. It's just uh, it's unsearchable riches that mm-hmm. yeah. in Christ. Yeah. You can't search them all out. You just can't <laughs> can't do it. Okay, so Paul wanted to take this message about Jesus to all the nations, and he also wanted verse nine to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Mm-hmm. So what's he saying there? He's saying that the th- this is not a new gospel, it's an old gospel, but it's being revealed and clarified through the person of Christ. Exactly. And the same the same mystery that was revealed to him, now he gets to become the messenger of that ministry. Mm-hmm. He wanted everyone to know, here's what God's doing in human history. God is forming a new global multicultural society through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. And that these people could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and friend, quick aside, this is what your preacher should be doing. If you're mm-hmm. if you go to church, he should be teaching you the unsearchable riches of Christ, and he should be bringing to light how we relate to that. That's so right. be looking for that as you're looking for a church. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now verse ten is where the passage gets crazy. Okay, so I, I don't know if you guys are ready for this. This is wild. <laughs> What's the result of God's global plan to save Jew and Gentile into one body, according to verse ten? So that the through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, so this is just crazy. So first, let's just go slow. What is God making known? His manifold wisdom. Yes, his multifaceted wisdom. It's like a diamond that you can turn and see wisdom from every angle. Who is he making his wisdom known through? The church. The The people of God. Yeah, exactly. This new multi-ethnic Jewish and Gentile society that's been born again, made alive spiritually, reconciled to God, reconciled to each other. Now we're all part of one big family, the place where God dwells. And so God's design is that the church, God's people would make known his manifold wisdom to who? The rulers rulers and authorities. In the heavenly places. Mm. Who are these guys? A supernatural realm. Angels, demons, yes. powers. Yes. One, one commentator says, to the cosmic intelligences. Okay, so the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the, the supernatural realm, not a ton. Um, but it, it assumes their reality. And it certainly talks about the supernatural realm enough for us to conclude that it is very real and that angels and demons, to some degree, can see into our existence and from time to time engage in it. It's hard to say a lot more than that confidently, but that much is sure. So now, that's a great. I mean, that, that's a crazy thought, right? We don't <laughs> yes. we don't go through our normal day on Wednesday and think about that, right? That's right. We de- we definitely don't. Okay, but here's here's what I think this means. You ready? When the supernatural realm looks down at believers at the church. Okay, at this multicultural society of Christians who worship God through Jesus Christ, when they see Jewish believers gathered in Israel, 
and Scottish Presbyterians kneeling in their coats and ties <laughs> and passionate Latin Americans dancing for the Lord and Korean believers gathered early in the morning to pray and African churches singing with all their might and a group of believing businessmen gathered in a country club to study God's word. Mm. When the angelic realm, realm sees this, they see the manifold wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. A- angels see Christians gathered all over the planet of the earth, planet earth, and they marvel at God's wise plan to redeem people from every nation through his son, Jesus. Mm, that'll preach. And, and, and what do demons see? When demons see the same thing, what are they seeing? They're seeing the exact same, the same thing. They're seeing a picture of their defeat that they <laughs> lost. You know, they lost on these believers. They're, these believers are worshiping the one true God and not following them and their schemes. Yes. Yes. It's just as this happens all over the planet, the the evil supernatural forces, they just see, oh no, this started with 120 people after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now there's billions of Christians from every nation and language and tribe and tongue. Mm-hmm. This is the manifold wisdom of God. Angels are rejoicing. Demons are, are cowering because judgment is coming. And they know, um, they know that he who is in you, Speaking of Jesus is greater than he who's in the world. Yes. So, so what does this mean then about what God is doing in human history with his people? What are we part of? We're part of the hmm. church. We're part of his eternal plan um, to um, make disciples of all nations and mm-hmm. to be with him one day together in heaven, united. Hmm. Yes, dude. And, and think about think about how this has played out over the last 2000 years when kingdoms rise and fall and leaders come and go and the church across nations and generations stands and grows, mm-hmm. keeps going when other empires fail. Mm-hmm. The heavenly realms look at it and they wonder or they tremble. This is mm-hmm. the wisdom of God. That's God right. is building an eternal people. Mm-hmm. And, and what is all this the outworking of verse 11? It was, the, it was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. So what's the idea here? What, what did God make first? He had a plan and he was going to carry out that plan. And he had this plan, not, you know, all of a sudden it was an eternal purpose, eternal plan. Yes. And you remember seeing that in verses nine and 10 of chapter one? One of y'all read those verses again. God lavished his grace on us, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Okay, so here's what God is up to in history. Here's the mystery that Paul gets to both protect and then to, um, and then to take to the nations. When God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for all people, the result is that now, not just a national people of God, but a global multi-ethnic people of God who've become his family and his dwelling place. And one day, all things in heaven and on earth will be united under Jesus Christ. God has a global plan. He's got a cosmic plan um, and and he's executing it in human history. Mm -hmm. Now, in the meantime, what's the result for those of us who become his people? Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Mm -hmm. Amen. So we talked about that access last week. But up until this point in history, guys, 
what access did an Ephesian pagan who worshiped Greek gods and goddesses have to the one true God? Zero. Okay. What about a Roman emperor? Zero. A Chinese national? None. A Middle Eastern prince? None. A Western moralist? Nothing. No access. But now, anyone from any nation who puts their faith in Christ, what is the result? They have boldness and access to God's throne, to God himself, and he welcomes them. Not only can they approach him, but he welcomes them. Yes. They can come confidently. Mm -hmm. I just love this word. It's one thing to have access. Yep. It's another thing to have access with confidence. All right. Hundred percent. When when's just the last time or a time where you've had just sick confidence on the golf course? What's that like when that comes? I mean, you just there's no pin that's too close to the edge. You see the pin, and you're you are so confident that you're going to hit your ball close to it that you don't see the trouble. You just if you could run and hit the shot, you'd run and hit the shot. Um, yeah. The the hole in the green when you're making putts, like Wyndham Clark did Sunday or Saturday at Pebble, it looks as big as a, a swimming pool. I mean, he can't miss. Yes. And so it makes you play golf in what way? Free. Yes. With joy. Totally okay. free. I was on the course the other day with one of my friends, and I was, we were about to go into the conversation at Troubadour, and um, I had like a 35-footer up the hill over the tier. I go, hey, Colby. I go, will you grab this out of the hole for me? And, and I put it, and I just start walking, and it went in the hole. <laughs> like, like, what is that? I don't even know how that works. That's awesome. Okay. So so confidence when it comes, dude, is so fun, right? Um, what is this saying that believers can and do and should have confidence in? Access to God. Man. And faith in him. Yeah. Yes. Like you can come confidently. And this is not the only place in the New Testament that that offers this. Hebrews 4:16, Ben, you've been studying this book. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The holy throne of God Almighty. And just remember, like if we're to approach God's throne, we would die in his presence because of his holiness. Remember, we were not allowed into the holy of holies, right? But now he's telling us through because of the access we have through Jesus Christ, right? We should not only come to the throne of grace, but we should come with confidence, yes. right? Yes. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Like we're almost in every single moment in a time of need in our life. And it's just the most comforting, wonderful news in the whole world for the Christian who understands that we're to approach God with confidence yep. because he is going to welcome us with grace and mercy. So I, I can't think of a, the, anything that should give us more confidence than that. Mm, amen. Love that. Okay, so guys, to our, to our listener who is newer to this, how do you do that? How do you approach God with confidence and find real grace and real mercy from Him? Um, I think uh, when, I'm, when I'm approaching God, when I need help, I, I pray. I, God already knows my situation he knows even what I'm going to ask, but there's so much strength and help to be found in just talking to God and even praying promises that he said before. 
um, oftentimes we have to remind ourselves of things we already know. And so if I'm struggling with um, this or that, I, I remind myself of things that are true about God, true about me, how much I'm loved, how much he cares for me. But, you know, simply put, like a child, I, I pray to God. I, I say, Lord, this is the issue I have. I pray you'll help me. I pray you'll give me wisdom. Um, and so often we can't clearly see exactly how he's helped, but there is so much peace and joy that comes just through talking to God and talking with God and knowing, knowing that he hears us and he's listening um, is super helpful. And, and practically, if, if you've never approached God before, the only way you can approach God, right, we know is through the work of Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So when we admit that we're sinners and that we can't approach God, right, and then we believe that what he did, he did for us, right? Now we're, we're, we're allowed to approach God. So it's just, just that those fundamentals of the gospel, the good news that mm -hmm. saves us, allows us to approach him. Yep. Yes. I, I love those two things, fellas. And when one pastor said it this way, I love this quote, when you start to treat God as if he were real, you realize that he is. Mm -hmm. And so just take some time after this podcast to, to pray and to mm -hmm. go to him confidently and ask for his grace. And I bet in some way he'll meet you. Um, yep. He wants us to live our life with that kind of access to him. That's what Paul's encouraging these guys with. So, um, in verse 13, he closes out this paragraph after talking about his understanding of this mystery and his ministry, this good news. And how does he reassure these Ephesian believers in verse 13? I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So he's, he's suffering in prison because of them. And he's saying it should give you confidence. Um, and I'm doing it for your glory and your good. So <laughs> yeah. for that, William. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think he's saying... Guys, don't worry about me. God's gospel is advancing. God's mm. cosmic plans are moving forward. Um, and so don't worry about me being in prison. I'm fine. God's got it. And, and here's what's cool too. Little did Paul know mm -hmm. that even though he was in prison for the good of this church, he, he had no clue when he wrote this letter that he was writing scripture that would be encouraging us 2,000 years later. That's amazing. So God's cosmic plans are they are advancing even more than Paul ever thought they would. Yep. You know? Um, so um, I, I love William. You can tell us where it is. Um, Paul is in prison when he writes the line, uh, God's word is not bound. Like, he, yes. Uh, Paul one, was bound. One Thessalonians too. Yeah. There you go. He was bound. His, he was physically bound, but God's word is not bound and it can't be. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Okay. So here's, here's big E on the eye chart for, Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. Uh, Gentiles like us can be fellow heirs and part of God's people through the mystery of Christ. And then through us who come to, to faith in Christ, who become this multi-ethnic society, God's wisdom is being made known even in the supernatural realms. And until all things are united under Christ, we've got confident access to God in real history. This is, this is us. Mm. Um, so final reactions to this passage for you guys. So I love in this passage that this is the mystery of the gospel is revealed to us. And Paul is showing us um, that we really can, through the work of Christ on the cross, we really can approach 
the Lord with confidence, um, knowing that he's going to welcome us with grace and mercy uh, to mm-hmm. know him and enjoy him. Amen. Yeah, I, I mean, here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with God himself, a perfect God who loves us, who's sovereign. He's in control of all things. And so how wonderful the truth that we have full access to him and not only access, but he loves to help us in our time of need. So I'm banking on that promise today. Yeah. And maybe we'll close with this. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Mm. And the idea is, if he did the greater, will he not do the less? If he died to save us from our sins, he will continually give us the, the grace and mercy that we need in every situation that we face. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the socials under the handle at Bible Caddy. We'll be back next week, finishing out Ephesians chapter three. Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Praise God. Praise God.